Father, thank you for this class. Lord, I thank you for the class we've had all the way along. It's been a blessing. Lord, I've learned stuff. We've, I believe we've learned stuff. And Lord, we know that we've grown closer to you in understanding of what your purpose and plan is through First and Second Corinthians. So Father, as we continue, as we wrap this up, I pray that you'll give us wisdom. Open up the eyes of our understanding to know your truth and to know how to apply it to our lives. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, last pop quiz of the, uh, of the class. What is the theme of First and Second Corinthians? Love. Hey, there we go. Easy one. What's that? Hey, well, how bad the church is is right in there. Um, and and what, what is the significant thing about that? You know, the church 2,000 years ago is... Yeah, and why is that? Why, why is the church the same back then as it is now? People. You have people, and, and, the, and people's problems, people's situations are no different than they were 2,000 years ago or even 6,000 years ago. Adam and Eve's problem were the same problems we have. You know, we have an opportunity to believe or not believe God. Satan has, a, has you know, is, you know, the, the only word that keeps, that keeps popping up, and it makes sense, so he's hell-bent on ruining God's creation, ruining God's relationship with man. And so as he does that, he lies. And he tells you, this is the way you need to do it. This is the way you need to relate to each other. This is the way that, that this is how you deal with uh, leadership. This is how you do all these different things, which is opposite of the way you're supposed to. And so um, in that, and you know, I joke about it with my pastor friends, we have job security. Because that is, it, it is the same problem as it was back then, and people are people. Now, I believe we're, we're getting more mature. Yeah, I believe that we're, we're, we are going from glory to glory, and we're, we're moving upwards, we're moving forward in our understanding of the Lord. And I believe, you know, and I've seen it, you know, believers that have been believers for a while are, are becoming more mature. And we act, we act differently in situations. But the nice thing is, is you always have the new believers who come in, and have to learn all over again. And you start with you start from ground zero and you work. But I also see people progressing more quickly than maybe they did 30, 40 years ago. Because of the knowledge, because of things that we've gained. And they don't have to start at ground zero anymore. They can they jump in in midstream with us and grow faster. But exactly. The Corinthians were no different than us. They had issues. And we spent all last week talking about, um, um, boy, what did we start? What did we talk about last week? I know what we did, but how, how to describe it? You weren't here. Oh, sure, sure. Paul's defending his apostleship, and what was his defense? What bottom line? If you were to, if you were to just to put it into one phrase, how would you describe what his defense was? It's chosen by God, exactly. The, the, one that I, the, the one that I would use, in, and he actually, I believe, uses it in Galatians, I am what I am. You know, it's the Popeye defense. You know, I am what I am, and, and that's all that I am. <laughs> exactly. But isn't that, that's what Paul is saying, is I am what I am. I, I am called, I am anointed, I am who God has called me to be, and I can't be anything else. And if you won't recognize me as that, we're both going to suffer. You're going to suffer because you won't receive from me, but also I will suffer because my God-given purpose 
as an apostle in his situation here, is, won't be fulfilled because they, it won't be received. That happens with everybody's gift. That, is, that isn't just a pastor thing or, a, or an apostle thing. It is an everybody thing. If people, by their sinfulness or by their pride, won't receive you and your gift, because every, 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 every person, I believe, has a gift. If they won't receive your gift, it's wrong. I believe it's sin on their behalf because they're not walking in faith. They're not, they're not welcoming. Does that mean that everybody has the gift of this or gift of that? No. Each person has their own gifting. Each person has their, their area where as they apply faith to their life, fruit comes out. And that's part of the job of a pastor is to find out who does what really well and who, who does what naturally, what just comes out of them, and then putting them in the right place and directing them and leading them and, and then fostering that gift. So everybody deals with this. Paul just happens to be in the limelight. Paul just happens to have written two books that got into the Bible talking about this very subject of here's who I am. And to, to write off that gift just because you would rather have somebody who does this instead or has this personality or that certain specific gifting is not, um, uh, it's not godly. It's not the way we're supposed to live. For example, this weekend is a perfect, perfect example. Robin Roberts was here. Now, Robin has been suffering with an ailment for about five years, six years, a little, probably a little bit longer. And it is hard to listen to him speak. And he doesn't, he doesn't, uh, he isn't able to walk around. He doesn't look, you know, I mean, he has to be brought into the sanctuary. He has to be helped in. People have to walk with him or use a, or use a, a, uh, a wheelchair. But his gifting is still his gifting. His calling has not changed. You know, and, and when he operates within his calling, oh my goodness, it's powerful. And uh, we saw that on Sunday morning and Sunday night when we prayed together um, as, as, as the church and a number of people were here to pray. When, when he began to minister in his calling, look out. I mean, it is powerful. And so you, you can't always look on what the outside is. You know, uh, when Deb and I were first married, um, we were looking for a place to live. And uh, we were, had gone around to a different number of different places. And we heard about this apartment in uh, this lady's house. And it was kind of, it was actually kind of like rooms for let. Uh, she had this big old house and, and she, and it was, and, and uh, had all these rooms upstairs and you got a room plus the use of the house. And when we got there, I had heard about this lady. I had never met her, but I had heard about her. How old was she at the time? 90. Yeah, the lady in Albert Lee, 96, 96 or 98 years old. She still heated the, house, the lower part of the house with wood. She cooked with wood. She had, there, was, there was logs in the backyard that she split to, to cook with. And, what was, and she's a believer. She was the sweetest lady. She ran up and down the stairs. And she talked about, oh, she goes, you know, she goes I, I, you know, you'll have the house to yourself on these days because I go and I clean houses for ladies who can't get around, you know, these, these old ladies who can't get around. And here she is, 98 years old. Younger than her, yeah. And so, so that, was her, that was part of her ministry. But the one that really struck me, do you know what her main calling, what she felt her main calling was? 
at 98 years old, what do you, you know, what would you think would be the perfect uh, job description for a, a woman of 98 years old? What, what do you think? What would you think? Okay, that's natural. That's exactly what she should do. That's what you would think, wouldn't it? You know, do you know what her main calling was? She read a, she, she led a teen Bible study. I mean, that would not be the person, everybody go, oh, you know, she had the, the braids, you know, she, her hair was braided and, and then it was up on top, you know, so, I mean, she looked old world. She looked as old world, she was old world. She probably, I'm sure she came from the old world, but, but it was just like everything about her did not scream youth ministry, but that was her gifting. That was her calling. And to write her off and say, oh, she couldn't do that. The kids absolutely loved her. Yeah, she was born in the 1800s because this was 87, and she was well in her 90s. I mean, just the neatest. Like, we ended up not living there, um, but it was. But just to meet her, you know, and, and to see that, and that has stuck with me ever since. Is she didn't look like a youth ministry? She, you know, she didn't necessarily act like she. She split wood to heat with, you know, and to, to cook with. That, that's not what youth ministers do. Even back then, back in the 80s, that's not. That's you know, they had the the, the funky hair. You know, the youth ministers did, and and they were the. They were the happening guy with all the... She had no lingo, okay? Her, her lingo was like early 20s and 30s, okay? She wasn't cool in, in the, in the uh, teen sense of the word, but she was anointed, she was called, and she had fruit. And that's, that is what the, 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 the real criteria should always be, is, is there fruit? Is there anointing? Is there a changed life? Not only in that person, but other people. And if it is, who cares about all the other things that people think it should or shouldn't be? Okay. So, 2 Corinthians 12, beginning with verse 1. And so Paul is still in the middle of his uh, defense. He's still writing to them, trying to, trying to persuade them. And remember, he's, he's, you know, in verse 30 of, of chapter 11... He says, if I must boast, I will boast about the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, who is to be praised forever, knows that I am not lying. In Damascus, the blah, blah, blah. So he's talking about his weaknesses. He's saying, if I'm going to boast, I'm going to boast in what I cannot do myself and that only God can do through me. And that is, that is the mark of true ministry. Um, you know, I, I can't go into all of the details and tell you the whole story of the last 20 years of me walking through ministry, the things I've learned, the things that I've experienced, the things I have screwed up royally, and then God redeemed, the things that I have no ability in myself to do, and the number of times that God has, has stopped me in my tracks and said, okay, now this is what you could have, this is what you've done over this period of time, now watch what I'll do. And I realize so many times, it's not about me. It's not about my ability. It's not about my strengths. Many times, you know, almost every time, your strength is your weakness. The things that, that, that you rest upon, the things that you can, you can always fall back on, are the very things that will trip you up. Because that's the part that where pride will come in. That's, that's where, that's where uh, Satan can, can get you because you, you're resting in this area that, well, see, I, I can do this. You know, I've told the story here. I think I even told it during this class at one point. 
about the ministry down in uh, when I when I was um, first came to the Lord, and the, the minister had gone to a friend of his who was having an affair. And the minister, that minister said, oh, but look at everything that's happening here. You know, there's people getting saved, and the worship is amazing. He was having an, the pastor was having an affair with the worship leader. And he's saying, but see, God's blessing the ministry. Look at all these, this, you know, look at all these things that are happening. And, and what he didn't realize is that it had nothing to do with him. People getting saved has nothing to do with me or you. It isn't about what you do. It's about God's spirit showing mercy to another person. You know, having amazing worship has nothing to do with the person up there leading worship. I mean, it, it does. You know, I mean, don't get me wrong. There, there's, if that person is humble and walking in. But when other people worship, the presence of God shows up. You get two or three believers together, the presence of God is going to show up. That's what the Bible says. So, I mean, I've seen, I've been a part, I've, I've been where, where worship, where the, the instruments aren't all that great. The singing's not, I was in Jamaica one time in a, in a, on a mission trip, and we were at this, at a crusade, and if you've ever been to a crusade, say, in, 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 the, in Mexico or, or the Caribbean or South America, the most, you know, you can tell, you know, they believe that the anointing flows the louder the music is. It doesn't have to be good at all. At all. But it had just, the louder it is, if it splits eardrums, God showed up. Okay? And one night, I mean, the, the, the worship was loud. I had, I finally, here I am at that time in my mid-twenties, I had to go outside of the tent. I couldn't stand it anymore. The, it was so loud, it was, you know how it uh, distorts? And not good distorts, like guitar distortion, it's... It's like distorting. It just like it pierces your ears. And it was off key, completely off key. And it was just it was the timing was off. It was completely you know, the, the playing was off key, the, the singing was off key. And I'm standing, I'm getting I get outside and I was like, oh God, help us. This is horrible. And right at that moment, I saw a vision. I mean, I mean, I saw a vision. I mean, I saw a spiritual vision. I, you know, everything went blank, and I see Jesus with his back uh, to me, and he was, he was watching the crowd. And as he's watching the crowd, he turns around and he smiles. He was just beaming. Love was pouring out. He's, I mean, just like because these people were worshiping with all of their heart. And they were, he, was, he was just beaming. You could just see how much he was appreciating the worship that was happening. And I was like... Huh? But see, he was looking at the hearts. He wasn't, you know, to me, I was looking at the, at the quality of what was going on. He was looking at the hearts. And, and I remember, I said, to, I said to him, I said, how can you like this? And he turned, and, he, and as he turned his head, I could see he had cotton in his ears. But see, he wasn't looking at the, he wasn't listening to the music. He was listening to the hearts. See, it isn't about what we think it's about. It's not about our ability. It's about our humility and allowing God. Paul says, I'll boast about my weakness. Where I fail, where I can't do it, and I have to rely upon God, that's what I'll boast about. Because then God's spirit takes it, and he gets the glory for it. You know, anything I do, anything that you see happening around this church or anything that I'm a part of, I mean, it has, it has nothing to do with my ability. In most cases, it has a lot to do with my inability. But what it does have to do with is the glory of God. 
And that's, that's what we strive after. So he's saying, I, I, I boast about my weakness. So then verse 1, he says, I must go on boasting, although there is nothing to be gained. I will go on, and he starts, he goes, I'll go on about visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that, but I will boast, but I will not boast about myself except about my weaknesses. Now, every theologian I've ever heard, everything I've ever read, Paul was talking about himself. But he was talking in the third person because he's not saying, I went to heaven. I had a vision. I saw this. And trying to puff himself up, he's saying, well, I heard about a guy who went to heaven and saw inexpressible things. Every, everyone that has ever taught this, everybody that I've ever heard says, it was Paul. And, that's, and, and in other verses, it triangulates, you know, and it, 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 it fulfills that, is that when Paul went to the desert, he actually spent three years in communion with Christ. And many believe he, would, he had many visions, and he had many visitations from Christ who taught him all the things that he learned. And so he's saying, I know a guy that did this stuff, but I won't boast about him. I'll boast about my weaknesses. Why? You know, give me a verse where that completely, where that, uh, completely applies. For when, I'm weak, he's For when I am weak, he's strong. Good. Any more? I can do all things through Christ Jesus. Not I can do all things, by golly. No, I can do all things through Christ Jesus. Good. Any more? Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. I mean, you can have all the knowledge in the world, but if you, if you gain that knowledge and think, now I have the ability to help people and change people's lives, you're mistaken. It has everything to, with realizing who you are. And you've, if you've been around a bunch, you've heard me say it before, and you'll hear me say it a thousand times, a million times more, I know who I am. God's been very clear about who I am as a person and my, my failings, my shortfalls, my inability to do what, what, what I think should be done or what should be systematically done. And even when I've done some things right, if it wasn't God's will, still a waste of time. So it's, I realize, I know who I am, and it's like, okay, God, this is your deal. From here on out, it's your deal. Because if you want me to do it, I'll do it, but I know it's you because I can't do this. And, when he, and, and that's what Paul is saying. I'll, I'll boast about that somebody did this stuff, but he says, I'm, I'll boast of my weaknesses because pride, the knowledge puffs up, and when pride comes in, immediately we start to back up. That happened, that happened with, with Lucifer. Pride is the whole reason he fell. He said, I will make myself like the Most High. The first temptation to Adam and Eve. God knows that if you eat of the fruit, you'll be like him. You know, in our own lives. I will do this for God. Well, I will do this means I will make the choice of how this is supposed to be done. I will set myself in that place of judgment. I will, I will do these things for God. What that does is it puts us equal with God. 
Instead of saying, you know what, God? I'll follow you. I'll follow you whether you tell me to go right or left. I'll follow you if you tell me to, to, to gain it all or to lose it all. I'll do it. Because it's not my life. It's your life from this point on. All right. So that man was, uh, the man that Paul was talking about is himself. He didn't use these revelations and experiences to elevate his standings within the church. He would rather let God be his vindicator. This is not how people would handle themselves today. If, if, if the people, if people today, most people, now there are, obviously there are some people who are very uh, humble, very, uh, you know, very humble before God. But there are definitely some people that if they would have had a revelation like Paul had, immediately they would put it on their website, they'd link it to Facebook, they'd send a submission to Charisma, uh, Charisma Magazine, and they'd wait for conference speaking offers to become pouring in. Because, oh gosh, God gave me a revelation. He must want me to become famous with this revelation. When maybe God just wanted to give him a revelation. Maybe God just wanted him to see something, to understand something, and to see it in context. But most people today, most big names, wouldn't do that. They would immediately start writing a book. I've got to write a book, because we can make millions of dollars off of this. Well, Paul says, I know a guy, I know a guy that had these revelations, but I can't even speak about them. Because they're too holy. Verse 6. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say. Or because of these surpassingly great revelations. Therefore, in order to keep me from being conceited. Now here, this next part of this verse has messed with the church for about 2,000 years. And we're going to dive into it head first. We're just going to go crazy on it. We'll, we'll have some fun with it here. So he's talking about these great revelations. And he's saying that I'm not going to use these great revelations to further my standing with you. But he says, to make sure that he did not become conceited in this, therefore, in order to keep from being conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness or in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. All right. Theological quagmire. Let's go for it, huh? Put on your hip waders, and let's go. So what was Paul's thorn in the flesh? Mm-hmm. 
Uh, he said that, go ahead and say it louder, because you'll say it better than I can. His, his past, yep, things like that. Well, somebody said it, I can't remember, we don't know. We don't know. There, there is not enough clear evidence to say it is a sickness or it is some kind of a disease, something with his eyes. We don't know if it was demonic. We don't know if it was human. We don't know. So we'll start there. Um, because what happens is, if it is healing or if it has something to do with health, and God wouldn't heal him, that opens up a whole bunch of theological problems for me and others. It's totally out of character for God. It's totally out of character for God. Okay? Because part of God's name, and we talked about this years ago when we were talking about the names of God. I think we had a class all about the names of God. The names of God, Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah Sitkanu, Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah, you know, all these names of God, was him revealing who he was to the children of Israel and to us because we, you know, he knew we were coming. So he says, I am Jehovah, you know, the Lord your God, the provider, Jireh. Jireh means provider. I will provide for you. And it was the names that he proclaimed. He didn't list them in uh, Abraham's uh, covenant. But when he says that, that the, when, the, uh, uh, when Abraham was in the trance and, and God was cutting a covenant, it says that he passed back and forth between the sacrifices proclaiming his name. I am this. I am that. I am so-and-so. And and. Those names that, that then translated down through uh, the, the Jewish faith and now into the Christian faith are those words, Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Sitkanu. Um, you know, we, I, every once in a while I'll print up those names and we'll have them available. I can't remember all of them right now. Jehovah Nisi, uh, which I believe is the banner, uh, that he is a banner. Go ahead, go ahead and re- let, let's read those over and let me get them on, on the tape because they're, they're important. I can't write on my glasses. Go ahead. Oh, there's... You got Adonai, which literally means my Lord. You got Adonai Eloheinu, Zavot, Lord God of hosts. Adonai Eloheinu, Lord our God, Elo, si Elohim. Adonai, Lord our God. Adonai Elohim, the Lord God. Adonai Elohim, Elohe Zavot, the Lord God, God of hosts. Adonai Elohim, Zavot, the Lord God of hosts. Adonai Nisi, the Lord is my banner. Adonai Shalom, the Lord of peace. peace. Adonai Shema, the Lord is there. There. Adonai Sidkenu, the Lord our righteousness. Adonai Zavuot, the Lord of the Sabbath, uh, Lord of heavens, heavens armies, the Lord of hosts. Adonai, um, I don't know how it's pronounced, Yire, the Lord will see. Then there's a bunch of them without definitions Adonai Bazik, Adonai Cam, Adonai Ram, Adonai Zedik, Adonai Yah. There's just there's, there's yeah. tons of, and, and when he's, when, as he's naming those off, as God named them, he said, I am the God who does this. I am the God who does that. Do we ever, ever, ever 
doubt that God is the God, our God is our righteousness. No, we don't ever doubt that. Because if we doubt that, we have nothing. We, it, we can't be saved unless he's our righteousness. And so, we do, I mean, I, I've never thought, oh, God, I, I hope you're my righteousness. Well, you know, maybe you are, maybe you aren't. But there, it's also, it, the, Lord, the Lord God, our righteousness is not quantifiable yet. It will be at the judgment seat. There, is everybody following me? Or am I, okay, so we don't question that one. You know, do we ever question the Lord God is my banner, Jehovah Nisi? What does that mean? What what is the traditional meaning of the Lord God is my banner? Do you you have any? The the, the 12 tribes of Israel had their banners that they carried, and they carried over the front, just like an army going to battle. It was a rallying point. It was a place, the banner was the thing that you saw it from a distance and you could run to it because you knew that your people were there. And so when God says, I am your banner, it's like, it's like I can run to him and I know he's there. Now, I mean, obviously he's everywhere, and obviously he's in us now, but, but we don't ever doubt that, that God is there, you know, that he is um, where he goes. So we, there's all these things that we never doubt, but then when it comes to Jireh, why do we doubt that God is our provider? Because there's some huge doubts that come in in, in, in moments of oppor- you know, oppor- you know, opportunities to doubt. Is he really God our provider? Well, I have, some, I have some instances where he is, where he doesn't come through, I think. Or he didn't come through the way I thought he should or hoped he would. And then you get into Jehovah Rapha, the Lord God, my healer. Is he really my healer or isn't he my healer? Is he the God who heals me, or isn't he? So you have all of these things that, you know, there's some things we never doubt, mainly because we probably can't quantify it. But then there's the places where we can quantify it, and we go, oh, well, here's some evidence of this side, and this side, and blah, blah, blah. You know, how, how deep are we into the quagmire yet? Is anybody up to their ankles or knees yet? Are you... Boy, we could go really deep. I don't know if I want to go there because we may not come out. Isn't there, a di- oh, Isn't there a difference though when you're talking about righteousness and you're talking about healing? Like where it's not so much doubt that yes, I believe God is my healer, but you don't know God's will in that situation. Whereas in righteousness, you know His will is to be righteous. Mm-hmm. You know, in your marriage, He wants your marriage blessed. I mean, there's certain things you know. God's will because mm-hmm. it is. Mm-hmm. Whereas if I get cancer, you don't know if that's his will that you're healed. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So there I know where you're coming from. I disagree. Yeah. I, I know where you're coming from, but I disagree. Okay. Because he says, I am the God who heals you. He didn't put any qualifiers on it. Then how do you die? You do die. Every man, every, everyone dies. That's absolutely right. true. So why doesn't uh, because everyone has to die, <laughs> well, right, right. but but exactly. you're, and and I and I am not I'm not trying to make fun of you. It just right. but it's uh, it's just coming out that way, <laughs> and I don't mean it to yeah, come out that way. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? It's like that, that's... 
we can certainly see examples of that, and that's how we base our, our decision. Jesus died at 33. God did not heal him on the cross. The... Yeah, so, yeah, it's kind of like kind of like an asterisk, you know. You know, it's not a real dying if you get raised from the dead right away. Um, but the disciples all died young, except for John. John was the only one who didn't. Exactly, but there were reasons, you know. And and and, and you know, here's where we get into the quagmire, because there are reasons. There are, I believe, there are reasons why people don't get healed. And it can range from anywhere from Jesus said, I could only do a few miracles in that certain city because of their lack of faith. And that's the one nobody wants to hear. You know, that's the one I go, well, that's not me. That may be so-and-so, but it's not me because I have all kinds of faith. And so that is one side of the spectrum. To me, this is my own standard of spectrum. You can do do with it however you want. The other side of the spectrum to me was when they, when they were asking him about the, the man born blind. They said, who sinned, him or his parents? And Jesus said, neither. This happened to him so that the glory of God could be revealed. Well, when could the glory of God be revealed? At that specific moment when Jesus passed by and he was healed. So on one side of the spectrum, you have lack of faith. And on the other side is timing of God. And there's reasons all the way in between. Everything. I mean, there's a a, a wide variety. And the problem that people get into is saying if, if, and I'll use Deb because she's not sick with anything and I can, you know, and she can yell at me later, is if Deb is sick, it is none of our place to go to her and go, well, what's the reason you're not healed? Is it lack of faith or is it God's timing or is there sin in your life, Deb? That's not our position. That is not our place. I don't care who you are. I don't care what, what anointing, what calling, what anything. It is not our place to do that, ever. Because we don't know. We don't know the mind of God. And way too many people do that, and that's why people get defensive, is, you know, why? And that's right. By you saying that, that's where how I kind of took it, was that if you have enough faith, you will always be and, and that isn't the case for the guy, man, the guy born blind, because it was so that the glory of God could be revealed. Right. And that, and see, here's where we get into the quagmire, and here's, let's back out, let's back out, <laughs> because we need to move on, but. There was a lot of grace in that situation, Absolutely. Wouldn't the glory of God been revealed even better had they been healed? I don't know. Yeah. See, and that's that's where it's the age old question kind of and the. God. That's kind of saying, it didn't, you know what I mean? I don't mm-hmm. know. I don't know. And and that is the age old question, and we'll be and we'll all get to heaven and go. Oh, mm-hmm. I get it now. I don't have the answer. Uh, all I can do is sit here and stir the pot. You know, at this point. Um. So. Was it through, so, so let's get back to Paul. Was Paul's thorn in the flesh a physical ailment? It could have been. We don't know. We don't know. Um, it seems to be out of the character of God to me. It does. I mean, I'm just, I'll be honest. Go ahead. But it didn't keep him from doing what he was supposed to do. Right. He walked, he talked, he, 
you know what I mean, whatever that thorn in the flesh was did not hinder him from carrying out what he was supposed to do. Yes. Yes. Right. Yeah. And he doesn't, they don't talk about it a lot in scripture, do they? One couple times it's about the storm in the flesh. But I mean, Just once. That's the only place it talks about it. Now, there is the reference about, you know, I write with these big, see what big letters I write with, but that might have just been his, his penmanship. You know, we don't know. We don't. We, 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 <laughs> no cheaters. Exactly. Right. And that was Luke. Luke. Luke wrote everything down. He did not have to write. Yeah, Luke spent time with Luke. He actually had an entourage. He had a bunch of people living with him in prison, providing for his needs. It could have been that. We don't know. Another part is, is, is what uh, Kelly was saying. You know, was it some kind of a tormenting spirit that was always following him? Uh, could have been. We don't know. Another possibility, though, is talked about in um, these 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 books and others, Galatians, Philippians, excuse me, that's why I do not eat before coming here. I apologize. See, the, the, everybody on tape can't hear, what the, you know, enjoy what everybody else got to enjoy just now. It's like, it's like what uh, uh, Red Skelton said one time. He was in the middle of his monologue, in the middle of his show, and he, he did that. He kind of, you know, had some gas, and he goes, whoa, whoa, I'm sorry, that wasn't part of the show. It almost was. <laughs> but, okay. Where was I? Uh, third possibility is somewhere in between. Third possibility, and there's probably all kinds of possibilities what it was, but another one might be, and what was talked about in all these other books, where there were people going ahead of him when he was ministering and people coming behind him stirring up trouble. And they would go in, and, and they, they would know, you know, here, well, Paul's headed to Ephesus. And, he would, and, and they'd go ahead to Ephesus, and, and it says they stirred up trouble ahead of him or behind him. And, and when he got there, everybody was mad because this is the guy who did this, or this is the guy that did that. And, um, or he would leave a place, and that's what happened in Corinth. Is he leaves Corinth, a bunch of people come in and go, oh, well, you don't need Paul anymore. You don't, what, what does he know? Why does he think he needs So here's these... Here's these people that are stirring up trouble behind him, and he's praying. He, because he can't go beat them up, <laughs> he can set aside his Christianity for a, for a day. That's, that's a, an inside joke, which I'll tell you real quickly. Uh, years ago, Dan and Marta Lewis, our missionaries in uh, Hungary, were uh, driving home after a meeting in Sikahid and had a car accident. And they, when they checked the car over, it looked like the brakes had been severed. The, the brake lines had been cut. And they, they, had had been trouble, they had been having trouble with a man in that community. And so they, were, they and others were pretty sure he was the one who cut the brake lines and caused the accident. And so the leaders of the Gypsy Church, who had only been saved for a short period of time, uh, went up to Dan and Marta and said, do you want us to kill him? <laughs> and Dan and Marta go, no, why would you say that? And they said, oh, no, 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 we can put aside our Christianity for a few minutes, and God will forgive us afterwards, because you said God will forgive every sin at any time. So we'll just put our Christianity aside, kill him, and then we'll ask for forgiveness. They're like, no, that is not what we want you to do. 
you know, kind of like, remember Jesus? You know, he had the same thing happen. You know, the, the James and Johns wanted to call down fire on that town. And he goes, no, <laughs> that's not what we want to do here. We have the wrong spirit. So that's, our, that's one of our... Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, when you think it through. But, but um, so he couldn't kill him. You know, he couldn't go beat him up. And so he prays and says, God, will you please deal with these people? And, 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 and possibly, one of the possibilities is, God says, no, my grace is sufficient for you. Because it's, it's not about you saving face or you having an easy ministry. You know, and is it possible that he had detractors, people who were, who were trying to tear down his ministry? <sighs> Hasn't changed in 2,000 years. And see, that's, that's why that, you know, in context with everything that's, been, that's happening, yeah. I mean, that's, that's why I lean towards that one, just for that, because it seems to be in context. It seems to be in context with not only this book, but other places that he went, Philippi, uh, Ephesus, you know, all the different, Galatia. Uh, they, they had the same problem. You know, we don't know. But, but it, it seems, in the context of what, why he would mention it here, is because he was talking about those people that were doing those things. Could be. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yep. And he was turning people away from the Jewish faith. He was turning people to Christ, renouncing, we don't have to do sacrifices anymore. We don't have to go to the temple. We don't need the priests anymore. We don't, because now we're free. And uh, uh, bondage hates nothing worse than freedom. And so, you know, and, and, and uh, you know, one of my, it's one of the most horrible verses in the Bible, but it's also one of my, you know, one of my kind of like my duh favorite ones is when, uh, the Jews are plotting to kill Jesus and Lazarus. You know, Jesus had just raised Lazarus from the dead. Major miracle. I mean, unbelievable. They're looking how to kill him again. You know, because they can't stand the fact that Jesus actually had a really cool miracle. You know, and, we, and we're turning people away from them. And so, so yeah, you have this, you have this uh, back story of these people trying to tear him down. Really, isn't that what all of 2 Corinthians is like? Second Corinthians has been about. He's justifying who he is. He has these people who are trying to tear him down. And he's saying, you know, if I wanted to boast, I could tell you about all these visions and all these miraculous things that have happened. But, and he says, and, you know, and, but I believe I've been given this messenger. And that word messenger um, is the same word that's usually used either for an angel. So that does play into, you know, your thought. I mean, that's, so it's possible. But it also is from a person, an individual who is... Um, who is tormenting. So, you know, I, you know, I don't have to squint real hard to make, to make that one fit, you know, theologically, for me, for me personally. Is there, I don't know where it is, I just read in the Old Testament that the Israelites had some, some other tribes, people that they had to fight, and God called them that they will be thorns. I've, in your I've, I've just found that. Oh. It's a cross-reference. It's Ezekiel 28, 24. And um, it's a prophecy against against Israel and it, and it says um, there shall no longer be a pricking briar or a painful thorn for the house of Israel from all among from all who are around them mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so so and that was people 
who are constantly ugh, needling them, constantly, you know, I mean, uh, my brother will never hear this. My little brother was my thorn in the flesh growing up because he just, it seemed like, I mean, we get along good, okay now. I just don't talk to him. No, I'm kidding. Uh, we get along okay. But back then, it was like, he just looked for a way to get me. You know, just look for a way to, to, you know, to ruin whatever fun I was having at the moment. And it's just that constant. And my, I have this really, really long uh, fuse. Don't I, Deb? I have a very long fuse. I'll put up with it. 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 And then I blow. And when I blow, it's big. It happens very quickly. And then I'm back. I'm doing good. Well, but it's that the one thing that just absolutely drives me nuts is the same picking, 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 picking. And, and wouldn't that drive you? And wouldn't that drive Paul? Because that's what they were doing. Is, and, he, and it was not just about his character. It was about people's lives. Because they were trying to turn people's lives away from the gospel, the true gospel. And so it was very personal uh, to him. So, so to me, and this was my own, you know, you know, I will tell you things. I'll, I'll say things in such a way when I believe their theology, you know, when they're when they're actual provable theology, and then I'll tell you this is what I think. This is my own opinion. This one I think is it was people. It was people coming around either before him or after him, uh, picking at his ministry and just causing him pain, constant harassment uh, in his in his ministry. All right, so. Uh, Verse 11, I have made a fool of myself, but you drove me to it. I ought to have been commended by you, for I am not in the least inferior to these super apostles. And here he's mentioning them again. Even though I am nothing, I persevered in demonstrating among you the works of a true apostle, including signs, wonders, and miracles. How were you inferior to the other churches, except that I was never a burden to you? Forgive me, this was wrong. So these other apostles were apparently squeezing them uh, financially pretty hard because Paul mentions it again. And he had said that last week. When we were were talking about that last week, he was saying, he's like, I didn't take any offerings from you. I didn't receive anything from you. That was my fault. I should have done that. But but what what was happening was these other apostles were basically, it was about the money. They were, you know, it was like, you have to give. And, and, you know, obviously Paul talks about muzzling the ox and that the, you know, that they're, you know, the workman is worthy of his hire and yada, yada, yada. And so he, he, he's teaching that, but he's also saying, I'm not going to force you to give to me. Whereas the other apostles, it was all, you know, seemingly from what he keeps, because he, he keeps coming back to it, is, you know, these guys just keep bilking you and you, and you give into it. You know, and I won't talk, but you know, because we talked about money two weeks ago for the whole time, because that's, you know, that was a big deal. You know, and and you do, you are supposed to give, but it isn't my job as a as a minister to make sure that you give. I can present the case, I can present wisdom to you, just like Paul was doing, and it's your choice. And what you choose is between you and God. And they weren't doing that though. It sounds like they were pushing pretty hard, and they were. It was about the money. All right, we won't spend any more on that. Verse 14. Now I am ready to visit you for the third time, and I will not be a burden to you, because what I want is not your possessions, but you. 
After all, children should not have to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. So I'll be very gladly, so I will very gladly spend for you everything I have and expend myself as well. If I love you more, will you love me less? He's, he's winding down his argument. He, he's finally, he's, he's coming down to, all right, it's about love, guys. If I love you more, will you love me less? Be that as it may, I have not been a burden to you, yet a crafty fellow that I am, I have caught you by trickery. Did I exploit you through my, any of the men I sent you? I urged Titus to go to you and send our brother, and sent our brother with him. Titus did not exploit you, did he? Did he not walk in the same footsteps by the same spirit? So what he's saying is, because, he says, I did this on purpose. I purposely did not take any money from you. Because if I had, you could say, well, see, you did it. And he's saying, you know, look, I'm, I'm a crafty fellow. I'm just doing this free. Because I'm doing it because of love. I have every right to accept anything, to, to accept money. But I'm not going to. And he says, I'm catching you because you, you, know, you were looking for a reason not to follow me. And I'm not going to give it to you. You, know, you, were gonna, you, you. At this moment, you would have tried to use the financial. All he talks about is money. So I'm not going to ask for money. And I've caught you. Because now you have to make a judgment purely based on the anointing. On the, on the call of God on my life. All right, so, um, so he talked about um, he didn't take any money, Titus didn't take any money, and who's the other one? Did he mention who the other one was? Okay, so there, but there was two. There was one before and then Titus, and, and he says we didn't do that. So ministry or ministerial integrity is an absolute must. You have any uh, ministry that is not integrous with its money should be shut down. Just my, just my humble opinion. They should have no right to minister to people. Because if I can't handle money properly, then I should not be up in front talking to you about theology. Just the way it is. You know, does that mean that you're going to agree with every decision I make? No. But if I'm a cheat, if I'm a scoundrel, if I, am I, if I put pressure on you to do something financially, then I need to get out of the way. Anybody who starts doing that needs to move. And that, I won't stand for it. I will not stand for it. I will, I, I will purposefully remove the money issue from somebody if, that's, if, that is, if, that, if they think that's what it is. I mean, we've had to deal with that overseas where people, people expect you to give them money. No. They may need it. They may, it may, it may have, they may need it. They may be hungry. They may be in complete need. But if, if it's, a, if you, if I sense that it's about the money, you're done. Because when it becomes about the money, it's no longer about the spirit. And if it's not about the spirit, we're wasting our time. So ministry and ministerial integrity is an absolute must. There should be no hint of malfeasance in any way, shape, or form. Everything should pass the smell test, and that's that's my term. I've heard it. I picked it up from somebody else. The smell test. The smell test is if it smells funny, it probably is. If you have to work hard at 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 making it uh, legitimate, then it's probably not. Anything that that passes the smell test means 
You know, there's, there's all kinds of rules. You know, and, and, and you, this is way more information than you'll ever want to know. There's all kinds of rules that, that, uh, um, they've, that the government has given ministries and, and, and ministers. And I believe, personally, that they've given them those options, these, these uh, perks, to control us. That's just, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not naive. I get it. And there are some, like there's one where, where there, there's, a, there's a rule where a church, a ministry, can, uh, can buy a minister's house, pay for it all the years of the, of the mortgage, and then the, then the minister still has his name on the, on the mortgage, and the minister... When the house is sold, 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 yeah. When the house is sold, gets all of the capital gains. There's a law that says I can do that. Okay, that doesn't smell right to me. To me, that 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 I you know I have to kind of squint and turn my head and you know that that the congregation pays my pays my mortgage every month, and at the end of it, I get all the money. Sorry, folks. I, I was trying to stay away from that one, <laughs> but but that's that is the same. That's that's where I actually heard about that. You know, the smell test uh, uh, phrase used was there was a local ministry where the the congregation loaned this person the money to buy a jet, and then the minister rented it out to the church to pay the to pay the the the, the billing and charge the maintenance on it because they use it for ch- for, ma- for church maintenance. Now, was it legal? Yes, it was found out to be legal. Does it pass the smell test? No. There's a bunch of them. There's a bunch. There's a lot of planes out there. Yes. I have retirement within my within my compensation package is a retirement. It can be it, whatever whatever form it takes. Um, yes, and so it's just part of compensation. But it but it doesn't you don't have to you don't have to twist your head sideways and, and look at it in a certain direction for it to be legitimate. It is it is it is recognized. Practices, uh, accounting practices, is what is what we do. So I have a board uh, of people that that the, the description, and they laugh about it every year. It's a board of ministers who can gain no uh, benefit from our relationship, and that's that's what the actual definition has to say. And they go, so I don't gain any benefit from our relationship. <laughs> you know, oh, personal yes, but I don't pay their salary. I don't give them any money. Uh, we don't hire them. We don't. I don't even have them come and speak here. Um, they don't get anything from from being in this relationship. Then they look at a. Tell me what the the book is. Uh, handbook, compensation handbook from Richard Hammer, which has an IRS. So it's an IRS approved compensation handbook, which has column after column. If you're, if you're a geek like Deb, you'll love it. She just gets it and she reads it through cover to cover. You know, she gets a cup of tea and just. Mm-hmm. It's a page turner. It's a real page turner. So it's column after column of church size. You know, church. So there's one whole graph on church size. It has one whole graph on uh, uh, community. So uh, inner city, 
suburb, uh, rural. Um, it has one whole graph and explanation about uh, length of education. What you know? So I have a master's degree in theology. Okay, so a master's degree, and so you have all these graphs. And then it says, so, so then I have, we have a church congregation of this size. We have an annual budget of X. We have, we're, a, we're a suburb church, and I have a master's in theology with 20 years of experience. So you take all of those graphs, spits out a number. Here's the average. From here to here is the average. And then, so then they look at that and go, well, that's the average. They all sign off on it going, okay, this is legitimate. I mean, this, you know, there's no you know, blah, blah, blah. And that compensation then can, can have anything from, so say my compensation is X. Pick a number. I mean, say, I'll just say 20,000 because it's, I wish I made 20,000. So, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> we can arrange that, yeah. Thank Ooh, careful what you say, you know. Um, but say it's 20,000. You could have 10,000 in, in uh, uh, salary and 5,000 in retirement and 5,000 in housing allowances. So you see what I'm saying? So you take the total compensation number, and then you plug into that however I want the money to be, to be you know, uh, put out. So, huh? Extracted. extracted, yeah, that's the, nah, no, not extracted. A little different than, like, you know, my salary, corporate Right. And the reason they had to do that was because of the Red Cross back in those, the 90s. Where the, where the head guy, whoever the head guy, whether it's the CEO or the president or whatever, the head guy, the head person of a, of a tax-exempt organization can no longer set their own salary. And the reason was, was the Red Cross, the guy set his own salary of a million bucks. And it was all donated money. So, so you're dealing with other people's money. So, that's where here, so here comes in the, the smell test. You know, Does it smell right? No. I mean, a million bucks doesn't smell right. So... Even ours, our, my compensation bracket, let's, let's say it's bracket, low on this side, high on this side, is much higher than what I get because of we live, the area we're in, the money. But we also have to pay what we can afford. And we have other people on staff. We have other ministries. We have, we have outreaches that we want to be a part of. And so, you know, I make a good wage. I'm very blessed. We're very blessed. And, but, you know, it is not the high end of the spectrum by any stretch of the imagination. But it could be legally. Oh, I mean, and, and you, that's the one time you'll ever hear me talk about it because I'm talking about it in this context. Because we're blessed, we're exceedingly abundantly blessed. So I mean, that's that's not the that was not the reason for me talking about it. Okay. Nineteen. Is that where we left off? Yeah, because I just talked about the smell test. Verse 19. Have you been thinking all along that we have been defending ourselves to you? We have been speaking in the sight of God as those in Christ, and everything we do, dear friends, is for your strengthening. For I am afraid that when I come to you, I may, find, may not find you as I want you to be, and you may not find me as you want me to be. I fear that there may be discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, Slander, gossip, arrogance, and disorder. I am afraid that when I come again, my God will humble me before you, and I will be grieved over many who have sinned earlier and have not repented of impurity, sexual sin, and debauchery in which they have indulged. So Paul is trying to make the point as clear as possible that both of these letters were meant to help them grow up. 
but he is concerned that it's fallen on deaf ears. Even though he's heard some, he's heard some things from people who are out there and you know who have come back saying, "Hey, they're you know they're grabbing a hold of this stuff," and he's seeing a little bit, but he's still he wants them to grow up. He does not want them to stay in that state of mind where it's all about them, where it's about selfishness, where it's about where it's about what do I get out of this. <clears throat> I think it's. I think it has. It could be. I mean, obviously, it could be. But I think it's more. He cares about these people, and it. If if I. How to how to say this? If I someday move on, and somebody else comes in as the pastor here, that takes the church in a in a different direction, a wrong direction. Even though I'm gone. Washed my hand. I, 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 I was going to say, wash my hands. I can never wash my hands of it because it's about relationships. He, he cares about these people deeply, and so when he comes back, the humiliation is not because God's going to go see how you, you didn't you didn't do good enough. It's not that. It's the humiliation of I cared about her, I cared about him, and and they're and they're not living right, and and in Paul's heart, it's about the people. And that's what it's supposed to be about. It's about love. Whereas the super apostles he keeps talking about, it's about the offering. Now, can we say that still goes on 2,000 years later? Absolutely. You know, I mean, you've all heard the stories about the ministries that have you sign, out, sign prayer cards out going into a service, and then at the end of the service, they walk up, they're all in the dumpster in the back. You know, you've never heard of that? Oh, there's, there's traveling ministries, and they, they had you sign out these cards because they think, oh, they care about me. They're going to pray for you. We'll pray for these cards, you know, and we'll put it on our, our, our weekly prayer thing. We'll pray over them. And then they leave town, and when, they go, when, when the dumpster, when the guys come to pick up the dumpster, all the cards are thrown in the... They just brought them from the front to the back and dumped them. They don't care about people. It was about the offering. So, I mean, things like that still happen today. Um, you know, I've met some of them. I don't hang around with most with any of them. If they're like this, I don't hang around with them. Years ago, I was <laughs> I realized that somebody that I had been going to some of their meetings was like this, and I went done. And I prayed about it. And I said, Lord, if I, is my attitude wrong here? Because if I'm wrong, I'll I'll repent. I mean, really, I will. And he said, No, you're okay. <laughs> and it played out. I was right. I mean, I, he was right. I you know I just recognize it. And he said, you don't have to spend a, a minute with them anymore. So, the Lord, and I was, as I prayed about it, the Lord also said to me, one day they're going to call and ask you to come and speak at your church. That was before I was even a pastor. The Lord said that they will, they will come and ask you to speak at your church, and you can give them whatever answer you want. And one day, I remember the day that the, that the phone rang, and it was them. And I just said, no, no thank you. Well, but yeah, but you know, remember way back? I said, yes, I remember very well way back when. No. You know, you're not coming in. So, you know, so yeah, he, he cared about the people. And he, and he, that's, that's the part that it would, you know, it would grieve me greatly. It does grieve me. When I see, you know, I'm, I'm Facebook friends with, with kids from our, my old youth group, you know, from 15 years ago. And I see their life now and I just, <laughs> you know, Jesus, you know. Because they're making stupid choices. My whole class from Christian high school. Mm-hmm. Very, very few are living for Jesus. And that just, it grieves you. I mean, it just, because you know that the, the, there is no other option. 
And that's what he's, you know, there's no, to Paul, there's no other option in this. And you and you care about them as such, yeah. you know. You and you and you you rejoice with them when they grow, and you grieve with them when they fall. And it's just you can't help but do it. I mean, it's just part of. If you don't do it, then you're in the wrong business. You know, <laughs> you're, you're not. Well, you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. So, so he's hoping with all the love he can gather that he has, but he has he does have some doubt. Second Corinthians thirteen. We have fifteen minutes to go through. 15 verses, or 14, plenty, minute a verse. This will be my third visit to you. Every matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. I already gave you a warning when I was with you the second time. I now repeat it while absent. On my return, I will not spare those who have sinned earlier or any others. Since you are demanding proof that Christ is speaking through me, he is not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful among you. For... For to be sure, he was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by God's power. Likewise, we are weak in him, yet by God's power we will live with him in our dealing with you. So he's basically saying, okay guys, I've I've given you every reason. We've talked this thing out. Here's the deal, I'm coming back. And when I come back, anybody who's screwing around is in trouble. Kind of like if I have to come up there. And, 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 and every one of us has said that at some point in time to our kids. But we also know, we say it, we sound tough, but inside we're just, we're melting because we love them. But we're still going to deal with it. You know, we're still going to, you know, we're still going to hold them accountable for what's expected. And he's given them every opportunity to straighten up. So, ministry should always be conducted from a standpoint of humility, from weakness. Christ purposefully lowered himself to the station of a servant, but never, be mis- but never mistake humility for impotence. Because he humbled himself, Satan thought he won. The, the religious leaders of the day thought they won. The, the Romans thought they won. Everybody thought, oh, see, he's weak. You know? And a lot of people think Christians are weak. The deal is Christians aren't weak. We're, we're, we're humble, but in today's world, humility is seen as weakness. Being a humble person is, is, is uh, not scary. See, you know, to, to be tough, you know, to be feared, you have to dress tough, you have to act tough, you have to do whatever. No, love is tough. But, it, but don't mistake that, that humility and weakness for the inability to act, you know. Um, and we've talked a number of times over the last number of weeks about, you know, I've only had to kick three people out, but I've kicked three people out. That's a horrible thing to have to do. Especially when you're, you know, it's all about bringing people into the freedom of Christ. And to have to exclude them and tell them, don't come back until you live your life right, is horrible. I don't want to do it. 
I don't want to ever say those things again. I don't, I want, I don't ever want, you know, and Deb has walked through all three of them with me, and she knows how much I've agonized. You know, please figure this out. Please act right. I mean, how many, some of them were, some of them were months. One of them was years. That, I, you know, and praying, God, is now the time? <laughs> you know? God said, no. Keep loving on them. Keep give, give them another chance. Give them another chance. Give them another chance. Give them another chance. But then when he drew the line, when God said, that's it, that's it. Protecting the other sheep, though. Absolutely. Yes. And that's what it's all about. It's not because you're mad at that person. You know, even though I can get mad, you know, in my flesh I can get mad. The reason I did it was not because I disliked that person. It was because if they kept acting that way, it was going to harm somebody else. And when it got to that point, the one that, the one that, well, I'll see how that now. Stop there. All righty. Verse 5. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. And I trust that you will discover that we have not failed the test. Now we pray to God that you will not do anything wrong. Not so that people will see and that we, that we have stood the test. So, so here's what you had said. You know, was it because he was trying to, you know, he didn't want to be humiliated in front? No, he's saying, not that, not that I care about the test that, that anybody or that, uh, for we cannot do anything against, where did I, I lost it there. Seven and a half. Not so that people will see that we have stood the test, but so that you will do what is right, even though we may have seemed to fail. That is an important line. You know, it doesn't matter what it looks like. It doesn't matter, matter whether you think I pass or fail. That isn't the point. The point is, I want you to succeed. I may look like I fail. Jesus looked like he failed, didn't he? He died on the cross. And to the world, he failed. His disciples failed. Everything failed. But in reality, because it it's not by what we see, it's about what really happened in the Spirit. So there are times when, when we humble ourselves and it looks like we fail. But when we humble ourselves, that, that, uh, the idea, the, the concept of, of um, submission. Submission isn't, you know, I'm going to control you you know, you submit to me. So I, I get to tell you what to do. I get to tell you how to do it. I get to tell you when to do it. I'm the boss. So you need to submit to me. No, that isn't the biblical idea of submission. The biblical idea of submission is he, say, say I'm the person that's under someone. I submit to whomever. I'm going to lower myself. I'm going to humble myself, which looks like the world, to the world, it looks like you're failing. Because nobody lowers yourself. Not in this world. You see somebody make a basket, you know, and it's all, yeah. it's all about me, you know. You know, it, it, politics, we won't even go there. But it's all about, you don't, you exalt yourself. I can do this, I can do this, I can be this. I mean, how many true servant leaders do we have in politics anymore? Not many. Humility uh, uh, being submissive in a, even in a marriage relationship. Submitting one to another. Submitting means I'm going to lower myself. I'm going to serve you to lift you up. That is the exact opposite of what the world wants us to do. 
what the world teaches us to do. You cannot find a self-help book on the market that teaches you to, to, to lower yourself, lower your expectations. You know, well, see, I can go off all kinds of rabbit trails. Wives, you mean submit to your husband in this day of age? Absolutely not. Why would you do that? Why would you humiliate yourself? No, because you, you don't, you're not humiliating yourself. You're, you're serving that man because it's the right thing to do, and you're helping them be something that they could not be otherwise. My wife submits to me, and it's not because she follows every order I tell. That does not happen. But she has made me better because she's humbled herself. There's so many times where she's bit her tongue and just served me and helped me and you know, supported me and told me the truth when I didn't want to hear it and protected me and made me better than what I am had I never met her. That is humility. Christ lowered himself, died, you know, suffered. The Bible says that anyone hung on a tree is um, cursed. But it also talks about disgraced. He was, he was hung on that tree. He was just, people came by and mocked him. He humbled himself even unto death. But when he did, he bought righteousness for everybody. So it's lowering yourself. Paul's what Paul is saying. Not that I, I don't care if I look good. Theoretically, if I do this right, I'm going to look less than. You guys are going to look good. You know? Oh, gosh. Should, should, there's all, all kinds of, should I go across this line? Well, you notice my name isn't on the church sign. You know, if you drive by a lot of churches, have you ever noticed that the pastor's name is on the church sign? Or on the front door? Or on the bulletin? Because this isn't about me. That's on purpose. I, don't, I, I purposefully don't do that. Not because I'm ashamed to let people know that I'm here. But, but, but I, all the things I've heard about this church, and I hear a bunch about this church, because people don't know who I am, you know, if they, if they see me out on the, on the street, and, I'll, and I'll, I'll say something about River Valley, oh, that's that church out there that does this, that does that, that, that's a part of this, that helps out with that. And I'm going, yeah, yeah, they're great people. Because it's not about me. It's not about lifting my, you know, it's not about one person getting raised up and getting, getting pats on the back. It's about the body of Christ. It's about Christ himself. Hopefully, nobody remembers my name in 40 years. But if they remember Jesus, that's what's important. We're lifting, lifting him up. No, there ain't going to be none of them. See, Pastor Greg, if he really wants to get my goat... He, the the RV, RVFMC, the River Valley Fellowship of Ministries and Churches, which we now are, it's, it's our organization because we have multiple churches. He, he, he always teases me, it's the John Neitzel uh, Ministry Association. I was like, no. So if you're listening to this right now, Pastor Greg, I'm going to beat the daylights out of you. Am I on the bulletin? Well, I think, but the other pastors are too, so that people know, they know who to... Well, of course I am. <laughs> Put me on the bottom. I don't care. All right, moving right along before we get crazy here. So, uh, what verse do I leave off on? Anybody know what? Eight. For we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. We are glad whenever we are weak, but you are strong. And our prayer is that you may be fully restored. This is why I write these things when I am absent. 
that when I come, I may not have may not have to be harsh in my use of authority. The authority the Lord gave me from building, for building you up, not for tearing you down. So Paul is a loving shepherd. He doesn't want to have to use the rod, but he will if he has to, and quite effectively also. Look at that. Three minutes, three verses, four verses. Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Strive for full restoration. Encourage one another. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. That verse sounds like a wrap-up of everything we've talked about. That's that's, uh, 1 Corinthians 13 in a sentence right there. Greet one another with a holy kiss. That is a part of the church that I really missed. I think we actually need to incorporate that into our greeting times. I might have to use that next time I preach, which probably sometime in June. I don't know when I'm... <laughs> see, see one, of, one of my favorite moments in, in all of ministry is, was the time that I kissed a gypsy full on the lips. Just, and he got to see it. It was in a, it was in a bar parking lot. Uh, in in Romania, well, see, in, you know they do the the whole you know kissing one side and then the other thing you know with the cheeks and you're supposed to, but there's a certain direction you need to go, okay? And you, <laughs> I zigged when I should have zagged. He did it right. I didn't. We met in the middle and we're friends ever since. We've been uh, close pals. <sighs> so, moving right along, maybe we thirteen. All God's people here send their greetings. May the grace of of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Ta-da. Thoughts? Questions? Good. (laughs) Thank you for keeping me humble. You know, the first and the last class, because I remember your question in the first class that just completely set me off from uh, having, I was on my game, and then you asked that question. Do you remember what the question was? Yes, (laughs) the Corinthian leather. (laughs) Does it have anything to do with Corinthian leather? I don't know. I have no idea. No, it it was fun. I enjoyed it. Hallelujah. Well, bless you all. Go ahead and hit the button back there, Deb. And... We are done.